Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am your confidence connoisseur, here to help you break diet dependence, end body shame, and learn to love being you inside and out. Join me as we demystify current health and wellness trends, understand what health really means, and find freedom from living life the way you think it should be. With that, let's go to the show. Hey, my friends, welcome back. If you listen carefully, you may or may not be able to hear Lewis, my four-year-old, singing to himself in his room. His room is right above my office, and he is currently nap-striking. So I was waiting for him to fall asleep, but I guess we're just going to have to go for it. So hello. I feel like we haven't talked in forever, and I'm so excited to chat with you a little bit today about an incredible experience that I just had. I was fortunate enough to find Steph Crowder of the Courage and Clarity podcast about, oh gosh, maybe six months ago. I had found her through Fizzle, which is a great website for entrepreneurs, people looking to build up their business, and Steph was on that podcast as well. So Steph is amazing, obviously, and I decided to start working with her over the summer to really get my business up and off the ground. And it was amazing. Every time I talked to her, I just felt like she got me and she understood what I was going through and how to help. I mean, it was it was amazing. So if you, shameless plug, are looking for somebody to help you with your business, Steph is your gal. She actually just came out with a new course called Crickets to Customers and I haven't checked it out yet, but I know Steph, obviously, because I've worked with her, and she is incredible. So any content that she puts out there is pretty stinking incredible. So she teamed up with Megan Hale of the Enoughness Revolution podcast, which she also just launched the Wild and Holy Radio podcast. And she and Megan are what they like to call business besties. So they had never met and had just been in a mastermind group together and decided to be besties, which is so cool. And they have worked together on a series of podcasts called the Bizdom Series because it's all about business wisdom. And I will never forget it. I was driving down the road and listening to one of these podcasts where they just kind of go back and forth answering questions from listeners live. And, oh, friends, it was so amazing. Oh, my goodness. The one that really spoke to me was an episode about how not really knowing what you're doing and sitting in the uncomfortability of not being in charge of the how or the the when is part of the process and part of the journey. And that spoke to me so deeply. So, so deeply. So it was a couple months later that I started working with Steph when I decided to make Captivatingly Confident an actual business and not just a hobby. So that leads to this weekend. So Megan and Steph teamed up to host a live 
not live. That's not the right word at all. What word am I looking for? A retreat in Austin, Texas. And I was so excited because I've never been to Texas. And a lot of my LuLaRoe community and current Captivatingly Confident community are in Texas. I mean, hello, the state is huge. So of course, there's a lot of people from there. So I decided to take a leap of faith and to join Megan and Steph and 13 other ladies in Houston, Houston, in Austin for a weekend. And my expectation of this weekend was that I would go and get some advice and some answers to some questions that I'm having about my business. And that was my expectation, that I would hear some, you know, wisdom nuggets from Megan and Steph and that it was just going to be just a good event to go to. Well, friends, I'm sitting here two days later, still blown away by what happened. That by bringing 16 women together, the incredible experiences that we all shared and listening to other people talk about their businesses and their lives and their fears and their hopes and dreams, I mean, Oh, I've got goosebumps even just thinking about it. And I was so blessed to be a part of it. And I got to share just briefly a little bit of my story. And it was amazing the affirmation that I received in sharing that story. And it was pretty much a general consensus that that story needs to be told. And I've always been really honest about my story. You know, I've, I've, told it a million times that I've really struggled with body image issues and diets and disordered eating and how I've been a personal trainer and nutrition coach and how through this whole tangled mess and working with thousands of women that I've been able to not only sort out most of my issues, but learn how to help women do the same. And that's, that's been my story. Sometimes I talk about my family, but not very often. And the reason I don't talk about my family, we'll get to in a minute, but I, I shared just a little bit. And again, it was like, Kim, you have to tell people about this. People need to hear what you have to say. So here I am <laughs> doing a podcast about the rest of my story. Maybe you don't know. I took a poll in my Facebook group to see who knew the full extent of my story, and not very many people did. So I'm going to share it with you today, and I'm going to try to keep it from being emotional, but I make no promises. So buckle up. Here we go. So I'm an only child. I grew up in Sacramento, California. I am the daughter of Leonard and Chris, and I grew up in a deeply, deeply spiritual family as far as evangelical Christianity goes and grew up in the church and watched my mom, my best friend, serve selflessly for so many years. I mean, she would do spaghetti feeds at church. She would volunteer for any youth activity that I was involved in. She would make brownies for my Girl Scout meetings. She would (laughs) 
help me make costumes for missionettes. And she would do all of these things. And she would serve, serve, serve on top of working at least two, if not three jobs. For the majority of my life, she was the manager of a convenience store, an AMPM in Granite Bay, California. And she would take me to work with her sometimes and I would sit in the office and play solitaire and eat junk food. We would both eat junk food because this AMPM had hamburgers and cheeseburgers and hot dogs and soft serve and Slurpees and pretty much I was allowed to eat whatever I wanted to. And my mom ate whatever she wanted to as well. And this job was stressful. I mean, the commute from our home was over 30 minutes each way. And it got worse and worse as traffic got worse. And she also did this trash compacting business for her boss on the side. So she was doing that. And then a little while later, she started getting her esthetician license so that she could do nails. So she was doing all these things at once on top of all the volunteering, and I thought that she was amazing. I was like, wow, look at this powerhouse of a woman who is doing all these things. That's incredible. And of course, when I was younger, I didn't really think about it, but as I got older, it started to become more apparent to me the sheer level of busyness that this woman operated at. I mean, we're talking the highest frequency. If she wasn't on the phone or driving somewhere or doing something, it it was a miracle. She never sat still, never took time out unless we were on a family vacation, in which case she was responsible for cooking and organizing and making sure I was doing things and doing okay. And I mean, there was just no downtime for her. And while her definition of self-care was pretty much getting your hair and nails done. Those were kind of her two things that she did. Having a real a real desire for taking care of herself was never there. Never there. Uh, she didn't wear makeup. She really didn't do her hair. And she always wore big baggy clothes, like baggy clothes, like a few sizes too big. And she would wear t-shirts and baggy shorts and Birkenstocks. (laughs) That was her uniform of life was these clothes. And she had glasses that, man, I don't know how she saw without them. And she had these really thick glasses. And it was my mom, you guys, this woman. I loved my mom. I love my mom still. I loved her and I looked up to her in so many different ways and I patterned my life right after her. I thought, man, if I could just be a fraction of the woman that this one is, then I'm going to do great. So I did the same things that she did. I got busy. I worked hard. I started babysitting when I was, I was a mother's helper at like 11, started babysitting at 12. Uh, had my own phone line by 13, a bank account at 14, and an answering machine for babysitting. I had my own business at like 12 years old. (laughs) I babysat every weekend. I made a couple hundred dollars a month, which for a kid is crazy. And I was busy all the time. If I wasn't going, 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 I was never sitting still. 
And I also inherited her love of baggy clothes because I too, since I ate the same things that she did, I struggled with my body weight as well. At seventh grade, I was in a size 14 pants and had to wear women's large tops. I couldn't shop where my friends shopped. I had to shop at, I think we went to Old Navy mostly, but I had to shop in the women's section. And I I felt good, but I also felt self-conscious too because I was bigger than a lot of the girls. And I watched my mom hide her body, so I did the same. And I would get baggy t-shirts and baggy shorts and hide it. And I remember just watching her as, as she tried over and over and over again to lose weight. She did so many diets and she, I, I'm not positive about this, so I want to be careful in saying this. I think she took diet pills. Uh, I don't know if it was the Fen-Fen or not, but it might have been. I have a recollection of this. Granted, this was over 20 years ago, so I'm trying to remember, but I believe that she did. Anyway, she was always unhappy in her body, and she never wanted to be in pictures. Oh my goodness, my dad was obsessed. He had the nicest camera and the nicest camcorder and was always taking pictures and trying to get her on video and she would always hide. Like it was almost like a game, but she would just hide from the camera and never wanted to be in the picture. She always took pictures of my dad and I and was not in any of them. I have a teeny tiny little photo album of pictures that she's in and I would say in 75% of these photos, she's not smiling. She didn't want to be in pictures. She didn't want to. She didn't like her body. She didn't, weigh the lo- she didn't like the way she looked in photos. And if she was in them, she tried to hide behind other people. She didn't like being in the front. Sound familiar? So this is what I grew up with. I grew up watching. Okay, so we, we are heavily involved in service and community. We give all the time. We give people our money. We work hard. We eat junk food. Like, guys, I'm not talking about like occasional junk food. I'm talking about like putting country crock on Pop-Tarts and spray butter, extra salt and cheese on popcorn. And in the morning, my I would have sugary cereal and my my dad, when he was around, would ask if I wanted sugar on my cereal. So I would dump sugar. I remember being a kid and eating like Honey Nut Cheerios, and I would pick the spoon up from the bottom of the bowl, and there was a mountain of sugar, and I would just eat the sugar. Just like that, just eating sugar. And uh, we would have, like, all the candy that she would bring home from the, the shop, and all, like, if she would go on to a convention, and she would bring home all sorts of samples of candy. So our house was, like, sugar and low-fat central. I am shocked that we survived it all. (laughs) Shocked. But it wasn't without cause, and it wasn't without health effects that all of us suffered from. So I watched her do this for years and years and years, and that is what I started to replicate. And it wasn't until 2002 that she got her diagnosis of stage four uterine and ovarian cancer. 
She had had stomach trouble for as long as I could remember. She had irregular periods and she was always feeling bloated. She was always talking about how her tummy hurt. And but she wouldn't go to the doctor. Tried to get her to go, but she just wouldn't. And I think, I think she knew how bad it was, but she was scared. Right? Scared. And she was busy. Busy, busy lady. Eventually, she started working at our church, and she became the director of Compassion Ministries and had developed all sorts of programs like Car Care Saturday and Baby Boutique. She also created what's called Sports Camp, which is where inner-city kids are bussed in from Sacramento and mentored and, and, and taught how to play basketball by a bunch of us, <laughs> myself included. Yes. Can you imagine me... White shake from the burbs, trying to teach these inner city kids how to play basketball. Yeah, my heart was in the right place. My skills, not so much, but that's okay. So she created all these things and she was doing all these things and she was busy. So she didn't go to the doctor, but finally it got so bad she had to. So she had surgery May 2002 to remove as much of the cancer as they could. And they put her on chemo and radiation for a year and said, we'll do another, you know, if needed, we'll do another surgery in a year. So obviously there were lots of hospital visits and her hair fell out. And that was the hardest day for her. I know it was. It was the hardest day for her when her hair fell out. Um, It was just sad. So she got a wig. She had this bandana that she would wear and the bandana came with like little bangs (laughs) And so she'd have on her baggy t-shirt, baggy shorts, and her little bandana with bangs. And that woman did not stop. She didn't stop. She kept going, kept serving, kept giving, kept doing exactly what she had been doing and didn't stop. She didn't stop to rest. She didn't stop to heal. Like, she would throw up in the craziest of places from the chemo because she wouldn't stay home. The only times that she stayed home are when she was absolutely, literally could not get out of bed. So again, I was watching and learning that this is what you do. You put others before yourself. You don't do self-care. You serve. You give. You stay busy. You stay distracted. This is the message I got. So she does a year of chemo and radiation. We go back, do scans. It spread. It spread to her bones, it spread to her lungs, it spread to her liver, it spread. She also developed uh, type 2 diabetes because of the complications from the medication, and they decided to do another surgery. And I remember the surgeon was talking to us before, and he said, you know, this was preventable. And we, I mean, it was the craziest thing to say to us because my family and I are standing there like, what? We don't need to hear that. (laughs) But I'll never forget it. He said, this was preventable. If she had come in sooner, we could have helped. If she had exercised, if she had eaten healthy foods, if she had managed her stress level better, if she had practiced self-care This would have been preventable. And, you know, he was like, we're going to do our best, but there's no guarantee. So she goes through the surgery and they come out and tell us 
that they couldn't, it was too, it was too far, it was too much, that she had lost a lot of blood and that they had done everything they could, but she ended up in the ICU. And so she spent a few days in the ICU. I remember going to visit and I wasn't allowed to stay for very long. And she was connected to so many tubes and wires and she had a port in her chest and it was terrifying. And I, my mom knew that I was scared and I think that she selflessly gave me permission not to be there by saying, you know, hey, how's sports camp? And I was like, well, you know, I've taken some time off because you're sick. And she's like, no, you get back there. You serve. You love those kids. So I did. I listened because it's my mom and you do what your mom tells you to do. So I spent that summer in sports camp helping these kids, teaching these kids how to play basketball, even though they were better than me. That's all right. I can hold my own in a game of bump out. I really can, actually. So she had been given a diagnosis of a year to 18 months after that last surgery. And four months later, she was gone. And I'll never forget that day, friends, when I had accidentally left my phone at home. Because that in those days, way back when, 14 years ago, our cell phones were still really big. And they required a lot of batteries. And I think I just left mine charging at home that day. And as I pulled up home after sports camp, there were a lot of cars. And I walked into the house thinking, I think, I think this is it. I think this is the day. And sure enough, there was a group of people in the living room because we, you know, after her surgery had hospice come in and set up her hospital bed in the living room. And so everybody was gathered in the living room and I, I couldn't look. But my aunt came over and said, Kim, she's she's gone. And she said, honey, I'm so sorry. She said, you know, she asked where you were and we told her that you were at sports camp and that made her smile. Um, guys, I wasn't there. I wasn't there when my mom died. And I do not remember very much of anything for that rest of the day or a few days after. I think I was in shock because I don't I don't have any recollection of what happened. I don't remember them coming for her body. I didn't see her body. I didn't want to. I hid in my room. I don't remember eating. I don't remember doing anything. I do remember the funeral. And I remember she had a black velvet Jessica McClintock dress, size 14. And it was hanging in the hall closet because that was the dress that she had dieted so hard to fit into that dress for my dad's Christmas party a few years earlier. And I wanted to wear that to my mom's funeral, that dress. And... You know, we went to the cemetery. We followed, I drove my own car and I followed the hearse to the cemetery and stood at the graveside and watched them lower the casket into the ground. And I remember everybody else around me crying and I looked and I thought, well, somebody has to be strong. If everyone's crying, somebody has to be strong. Mom would have wanted us to be strong. So I didn't cry. And we went to the church after the funeral for her celebration of life service. And if you've ever been to a celebration of life service, it's they try to make it joyful. 
because your loved one is no longer in pain and they're in a better place. And I walked in and I hated it. I hated the music. We did worship songs and there was scripture reading. I even read Proverbs 31 and I hated it because I wanted to be sad. I wanted it to be okay to be sad in a public place and to receive support. And that was not allowed because this was a celebration of life service. And it was reminded over and over again throughout that service that she was in a better place and that she left a legacy behind of serving others. And I remember going home after the celebration of life service and we had people over and I wanted to be sad, but we couldn't be sad. And so that was my first intro into managing my emotions and keeping what I really thought and my story quiet and my experiences quiet. So my mom passed away July 30th, 2004. I was 19 years old. She was 44. And it obviously is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I cried about this for hours yesterday as I was preparing for today. So I <laughs> I think I cried all my tears out. Um, but I, I just, it was so hard. And it took me years after her death um, to figure out what I wanted to do with my life because I was in college at the time and to figure out how to feel about my body. And it led into some really disordered eating, which I'm so thankful that I became a personal trainer and I helped other people figure out how they could change their bodies because it taught me a lot about learning and it taught me a lot about food and it taught me a lot about health and learning what health really looks like. And I spent those years obviously working with a therapist because it was rough even after my mom died. My dad decided that he wanted a new life and he moved to Spokane and met a woman online that he met before my mom was gone. And he married her and was married to her for, I think, 12, 13 years. Yeah, long time. So that hurt. And he did a number of horrible things that it took me a long time to get through. But I'm almost thankful in some ways because I got an education in counseling. <laughs> I feel like I have a counseling degree almost because of the amount that I went through. And I learned different techniques for coping. And I learned different theories and psychology and a lot of different aspects of how we as humans, how we as women need to heal and need to be seen. And I think the biggest thing that my mom taught me was to hide. That you hide your needs, you hide your body, you hide your desires, and you serve other people. And at first, that is what drove my business. That was what drove my personal training and my nutrition coaching was to help women put themselves first. But they didn't, they didn't, they couldn't, they wouldn't, they didn't understand. And I wish that I could have been able to share my story then to say, hey, 
This is the legacy you leave behind. When you hide, you teach your friends and your family to do the same, especially if you have daughters and sons. And I look at my son and I want him to have so many pictures of me that if something happens, he'll never forget who I was and what I was about and my legacy. I want him to have videos of me living my best life and him being a part of it and me modeling for him what health really looks like and how we listen to our bodies and how we love others. But first, we love ourselves. Because that, that's where it starts. If you don't love yourself, how can you love others? That's one of the things I've been experiencing so much lately is as I've been giving grace to myself, I find I'm so much more ready to give grace to others and to extend the benefit of the doubt. As I experience hard times, I realize that everybody's experiencing hard times. And how can I act in love accordingly? But if I wasn't learning that about myself, how could I even understand that about others? Experientially, I couldn't. I could read it in a book. I could read it on a blog. But experientially, I needed to learn what it was like to give myself grace, to give myself permission to practice self-care, to give myself permission to not feel a compulsory need to serve, and to give myself permission to wear tight clothes and two-piece bathing suits. To give myself permission to show up in my life and to take up some serious space. Because this is my life. This is your life. You only have one. You only have one, friends. You don't get a second chance at this life. And we spend it being stressed out and busy and putting our family and friends first. And I'm not saying that that's not honorable. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to do is to serve others. But when it's to your detriment, that is not okay. It's not. And so it has been a process of learning. And I feel like I've come to this place 14 years later where I love women. And I love seeing women shake off the bonds of dieting. And I love to see women embrace who they are and to learn to love being who they are inside and out. To find their purpose and passion and joy in life. To have dreams and goals and aspirations. To rise up and call out in other women, I see you, me too. And to have these moments of connection where we learn from one another and we grow, where we take those limiting beliefs that hold us hostage and stuck in procrastination and perfectionism and busyness, and and we take those and we let people into those so that they can speak truth. One of the women at the retreat that I was just at was talking about how her mom said some really awful things about her and how hurtful it was. And friends, you could see on her face how much it still hurt her so many years later. 
and how she had these limiting beliefs about herself and her ability to help people and affect change because of this voice that she had, these limiting beliefs. And I challenge you, what limiting beliefs do you have? What did you learn from your mother? Sorry, we have these kids across the street with their cars. It's like the Fast and the Furious over here all the time. So <laughs> what what limiting beliefs do you have in your head about your ability to show up, to dress up, to love your life, to live your life, to live not just your life, but your best life? What messages do you have? And that's the beauty of Captivatingly Confident is that it is a place, a community to come and get support, to share your struggles, to share your triumphs, to share who you are in a safe space where we can support one another and have those me too moments. Because in those moments and in this kind of community is where change is possible lasting change, not just you on your own trying to slug it through, but with others. And that's my heart. Friends, I don't want one person to feel like I did, to look through this little photo album that I have. I have it sitting right here. And there's less than 100 pictures. And again, they're all, I have like one or two pictures where she's smiling and happy with a spark of joy in her eyes. And as I was looking at these yesterday, preparing for today's podcast, I cried. I wept for hours because as I look at the face of this woman, I can't remember her voice. I have begun to lose the connection to her that I used to have so strongly. I mean, it's been 14 years. That's a long time. And... It makes me heartbroken because that was my mom, my role model, my best friend. And if you didn't have that kind of relationship with your mom, I'm so sorry. And I hope that you were able to have a second mom who filled in some of those voids for you. But friends, don't leave this legacy. Don't hide from the camera. Don't hide your body. Don't hide your needs. Show up. Live your best life. Leave a legacy that you're proud of. Spend your days loving yourself and loving others. It is incredibly freeing when you do. So I'm trying to figure out how we should end today. (laughs) I know this was a heavier podcast. I feel like a lot of them have been. But I want you to know that there's going to be an upswing. There's going to be some lighter topics heading your way, I promise. (laughs) One of the things that I learned at the retreat this weekend was that I give a lot of spinach in the smoothie here and that I need to sprinkle in some strawberries into that smoothie to make it a little sweeter, a little easier to palate. So I know that and I'm aware of it and I cannot wait to really meet you where you're at and to walk alongside you. So I, as always, end these podcasts with an invitation to join the Captivatingly Confident Facebook group. If you visit Kim Ludeman, L-U-D-E-M-A-N, dot com, or you can search Captivatingly Confident in Facebook, 
join the group. Come and join a community. We're 400 strong, and I would love for you to find this is a place where you can start to feel safe and start to walk along with other women in the similar spot as you. So thank you so much, my friends. I love you, and I can't wait to talk to you next time.